say. Maybe we do that next week. What triggers Zach? Welcome to Freightonomics. I am Zach Strickle, head of freight market intelligence here at Freightways. With me as always, chief economist Anthony Smith. And we are here to combine the macroeconomic information with that freight market intelligence that we do so well here at Freightways. And today's show centers around the discussion of the different sectors, how they're feeling the impacts of inflation. Uh, we're going to break down inflation a little bit because that continues to be a thing. You know, I think you called it out back in 2020. We've been talking about inflation as a thing that's going to impact the economy deeply uh, since the pandemic started. Yeah, it's been ongoing. And um, thankfully, we've seen some easing in the latest reports, but also a concern of where we saw that easing from coming from the energy sector. And then not too long ago, we hear announcements from OPEC Plus with their plans. And so OPEC Plus, it seems like, you know, <laughs> what happened to just OPEC Plus? We're going to get premium next, you know, so it kind of adds into the expectation of like, all right, are we out of this? Are we in it still? So a lot to cover today. Yeah, we do. And uh, of course, we got to get you started off with the freight market update. And two, if you want to go ahead and and count me in. Yes. So in three, two, one, go. Outbound tender volume index to start things off as usual here. Uh, not a lot of news in the OTVI. It's been holding relatively steady. However, you see there is a little bit of a dip there at the very end. And that is, of course, nothing that's going to concern me right now in terms of total freight demand because it is Easter week. And if you look back, historically speaking, in the green and blue lines are very exaggerated. It was a little hard to pick out during the uh, initial phases of the pandemic, but Easter week does have about a 2 to 3% impact on overall freight volumes. We are going to see that potentially this week as freight volumes dip a little bit, and arguably it's actually not showing up as strongly as we might have thought it would be. Uh, so far in April, though, tender volumes relatively stable. I don't feel bad about this month in terms of demand. However, capacity is still extremely oversupplied. Go to the next chart here. And we see our national ten, uh, truckload index forecast, along with our national truckload index, measures spot rates and spot rate trends in aggregate for dry van and freight. Uh, it's going down. This one is falling. And it's as our forecast predicted here, uh, especially over the last 28 days. And it looks like it's going to fall a little bit further. If you look into the future with that blue and green line, the forecast is in strong alignment with the direction of spot rates over the next 28 days or so. It looks like it's going to bounce, however, towards the end of the month and into May, we should see some recovery. However, these rates falling further is just, it's not great. And they're not going to recover all the way back up, uh, it looks like, in the near term. So moving into our last chart here, contract versus spot market. So the contract rates in white, spot market rates in blue, Still a pretty expansive gap between these two. So contract rates probably going to continue to fall. However, that will keep the contract market relatively stable. If you are shipping freight, you should not have any trouble with tender acceptances. So spot rates, however, still falling. Impressive stuff. Yeah. Impressive stuff. So spot rates still falling. Yeah. That means that, of course, contract looking to follow thereafter. Yeah, I mean, you see that that last chart there. The contract rates are falling, and they've fallen about 13 14% over the last year, uh, but they're very slow. Yeah. Spot rates are very reactive because they're negotiated on a daily basis. Uh, contracts have fallen, are starting to get pushed back, more lengthy contract rate agreements, as you would expect in a softer environment. But I think there's still this, like, people are still sending bids out 
more than uh, once a year at this point, trying to take advantage of the market. So that was going to be my next question because we saw, of course, a shift in um, those bid cycles before the pandemic, in the midst of the pandemic, mm -hmm. and still kind of shifting now, as we kind of see. Yeah, and and but the end of that index tells me that there were, it's not the shippers that are necessarily being that aggressive uh, in this situation because the spot market is falling faster than the contract market still. That's not shocking early in a cycle as the market transitions. When we're over 12, we're 12 months deep into this cycle of easing and spot rates are still falling faster than contract. That's, a, that's an interesting component. And I think it's relevant to our downstream discussion today of PPI versus CPI, these input costs versus the what people see nominally. Because arguably the contract rates are very close to that PPI number in the in its, you know, the way we see them. And then, you know, the spot rate is really that underlying wholesale like quick reactive figure that PPI tends to be. Yeah. And I mean there's relationship there, especially when we look at the CPI and the PPI, of course. Um, I mean, you can chart the two together. Really, if you were to look at you know, almost on a rate of growth and the trends, it would be almost like anywhere from two months of a lag to sometimes in some sectors, because it's all going to vary sector by sector, it could be up to a year. But really, I think two to three months is like a kind of overall generalization for where that, um, you know, is going to sit. Real quick, have to say this, uh, if you catch me looking down from time to time, I'm also checking LinkedIn. We are streaming live there. So if you want to join in on the show, be a part of the conversation, you have a question for myself, Zach, you have a point to make, anything like that, a differing opinion, jump into the conversation and join the show. So let's move into the newsonomics, the stories of the day. Uh, the first one I just wanted to mention, Todd Maiden wrote an article uh, about uh, truckload rates tumbling in Q2, report says, and he's referencing another uh, set of data that you know measures contract rates and spot rates and LTL rates and its invoice data. Uh, we have something similar here at Freight Waves, but it's you know basically saying the same thing. Yeah, contract rates falling, LTL rates, which had been relatively stable-ish on an upward trend, are showing signs of weakening as well. So uh, overall, just a really tough quarter for trucking, and it looks like it's continued into Q2. Um, and, you know, we just talked about it with the NTI. <laughs> Spot rates are still falling in the first part of the quarter. And I think you can expect that to an extent, Anthony, because we're just into the first quarter. You, you There's just not as much April demand. Yeah. Typically, there's not as much pressure there. Things kind of, everybody takes a breath in April. Spring breaks are happening, right. et cetera. Um, but, you know, arguably, I think it could be worse. Yeah. And now I also are thinking about some of the catalysts that we would kind of start to see a little bit like produce season. Yeah. I'm um, thinking about housing, the spring season, things like that. And so I'm curious to see if we see some kind of muted results for things like produce season, especially we're looking at coming out of California and you saw all the flooding situations that potentially wiped out quite a bit of produce throughout that time frame. And then, of course, um, the demand for housing have certainly kind of shifted in this mortgage rate environment. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of seasonal trends that we would typically see this time of the year are a little bit muted. Yeah, uh, especially when we're talking about breaking down commodities. Everybody excited about that produce impact uh, and what it might mean. Of course, the tons of rain in California over the winter made it really hard to plant, <laughs> right. delayed the planting cycle a little bit, but also what is it going to mean for the harvest cycle? 
Typically that starts happening about now uh, out of there, but no signs of that yet for the transportation side. And it could be, you know, very isolated. Yeah. You know, it's like the isolated storm. So you could just see it regionally and you you may not even feel it at all because capacity is just so abundant. So uh, next story here, uh, Greg Miller really, uh, as usual, breaks down uh, the import sector and he writes an interesting piece. Imports bounce back in March despite dwindling China cargo. Um, and he breaks down the thing that is a good segue for the rest of our, our topic today. He breaks it down by sector, yeah. imports by sector and how they're feeling things. And he uses some good data here. But according to data released by Descartes on Tuesday, U.S. imports uh, for 20-foot equivalent units in March down 27.5% year over year, but up 6.9% from February and up 4.2% from March of 2019. So the point of that is year over year, absolute catastrophe. <laughs> uh, so we're out of that overheated environment. However, we're, we've, we've stabilized and a lot like the freight market, we've kind of bounced on the demand side. And this is, I think this is, you should take this as a positive in terms of economic and freight market operator. Demand has stabilized. <laughs> right. So what that means for the future is yet to be seen. But for now, we're not falling anymore. Yeah, yeah. And of course, that kind of leading to, like you mentioned earlier, um, demand for surface transportation a little bit further down the line. Also, I think uh, on, on a macroeconomic scale, this is potentially a good news for some of the shippers because when you start thinking about importing these goods, it's going to come down to, of course, it's going to cost money. And so when you're thinking about the value of the U.S. dollar, this is one of those things that I was mentioning a little bit last year, um, in, near the third and fourth quarter, um, that the value of the U.S. dollar was pretty high throughout the pandemic, throughout 2021, 22, in the early parts, mm -hmm. but it's definitely started to come down. And so the lower the value of the U.S. dollar, the more expensive it's going to be to import a lot of goods that are coming in internationally. So a little bit of a pull forward, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think. That could be a potential one. And so I think those that are able to get the best or the highest value for their dollar as they can now compared to potentially, you know, further doubt movement in the U.S. dollar would maybe get a better deal. Yeah, because there is still a lot of information that inventories have not receded. Right. Uh, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But one of the uh, the second points that he makes here is, you know, they have a forecast. Uh, the National Retail Federation has a global port tracker. Uh, currently, forecast imports will continue to rise month on month, climbing 2.1 million TEUs by August, up 26.7% from the current March levels. I don't know what I think about this one. What are your thoughts here? <laughs> so they would have to, in order for, I think, this to make any kind of sense, expect that there's going to be that consumer demand for a lot of these goods and that it just won't wane whatsoever. But then that is a risky bet to make. Of course, the cons U.S. consumer is always going to buy, always going to make purchases as long as they have jobs. Yeah. And what we're starting to see now is that there is a bit of a shift in the employment market. Of course, we saw a tick down in the unemployment rate overall, but we've seen that the jobs added, hospitality, um, you know, service sector jobs that aren't the most higher paying roles. And the other big thing that we're seeing is that the initial jobs claims had a historic revision now at right around 240, I think 239 was the latest print that we saw. You can up to that 300K number that you don't like, right? Get back up there. And, yeah. and, the, and the thing is, it's like not that the initial jobs claim is at a, a concerning level. The concerning part is coming from the continued claims. Those have filed for unemployment benefits continuously, not just the first time and one time. 
that's starting to creep up. It's not so much of the the, the pace that's concerning me, but the ongoing and the consistent direction there. Yeah. So a little bit, it looks like, I mean, to me, we've got this buffer that we're still working through that's left over from the pandemic era, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, I don't buy that one. Um, I feel like that's a little bit of manufactured optimism on the global fort trackers part. Uh, but let's go back to what is. <laughs> So talking about inventories, three categories of containerized goods show very large inventory overhangs with very limited progress to date on reducing the excess. Hardware plumbing heating, up 17% over pre-pandemic levels in terms of inventory. Electronics and appliances, up 19% over pre-pandemic. And electronics has been one of the hardest hit sectors yeah. uh, in this hangover environment. Apparel and accessories up 47%. Right. I mean, the cost of that inventory, you know, in regards to revenue is extreme for apparel. Oh, for sure. And I think, I mean, it's one of those things where you think about apparel, you think about technology. These are these are things that are have a, a time cycle on them, you know. Yeah. The clothes have to get out in a certain yeah. time, in a certain season. Technology continues to move forward. Hey, what are we going to do with all these old chips? What are we going to do with all these old phones? What are we going to do with all these old appliances? then those are going to have to quickly get marked down when the new model comes out, if that does happen. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at, just hang tight, you get some discounts. Yeah, uh, I, I guess that may not be the best thing to do. But so Bank of America uh, sends out a credit card report um, and very interesting. It, it really supportive of the overall trend, which is economic cool downs. Um, you know, they break it down by leisure and durable goods and various economic sectors that we do. Here, of course, uh, looks like overall, though, a softer march than they expected. And it said a seasonally adjusted 1.5% month over month decline in spending. Um, and I, I'm going to ask you, do you think this has to do with the fact, you know, you talk about credit card debt growth. Do you think consumers are actually being a little bit mindful of that and not putting as much on their credit cards? Is that an influential factor here? I'm hoping so. <laughs> like, there's nothing I would like to see more than Consumers just saying, hey, you know what, we're going to hold off and continue to start building up on that savings rate a little bit because it's still not quite high enough. So that would be my hopes. But of course, I can't go off of hopes. But what we do see, I think, is that maybe some consumers are starting to hit those upper limits of the threshold for how much they can put on their credit cards and how much they can do on buy now, pay later. And really, there's this overhang of what's going to happen with, of course, student loans also happening for um, a lot of Gen Xers, some millennials, and a lot of Gen Zers as well. And so um, that's going to be a big thing. Um, so those are going to be some of the aspects that we look at when we're looking at consumer ability to spend. The other big thing, of course, is delinquency rates on a quarterly basis starting to start to creep up there ever so slightly. Uh, we're talking about credit cards here, but there's also, I think, an aspect to non-revolving spending as well. We're looking at car notes. And so um, throughout the pandemic, uh, in, lim limited inventory for cars and used vehicles. And so a lot of folks are paying well over sticker price. You're talking about, hey, this car is going to go for sale for 20000 30000 maybe some cases 40000 over MSRP. And so then you start to see people taking on those, those, those loans, those car notes, and they don't have the same regulations as we saw coming after the subprime mortgages in 0809. And so you can have, say, hey, you know what, I have these insured, uh, unemployment benefits that are boosted. I'm getting the stimulus checks. Now this is somehow making me eligible for this vehicle purchase. 
they've been able to carry it on for X amount of months or years now. And so now we're starting to see that some folks might be in over the head with some vehicles that aren't worth what they originally paid for. Yeah, I think the automotive sector has had a little bit of a bubble after the, uh, the pandemic ended. People had to start working, go to the office again. They started traveling more, obviously. Uh, and then they said, you know, we need, we need to go get a new car. <laughs> and of course they weren't available. So they were paying pandemic prices for a vehicle, like you said. And now it looks like that might do, be due for a hangover later yeah. versus now which is actually kind of a bubble. I think most of the ma manufacturers knew this. Right. And I think the EV is going to be an interesting nuance uh, in that cycle for sure. Uh, so Bank of America is forecasting a 5.2% growth in Q2, but they are saying there's more downside risk to that after seeing March's numbers. They're questioning it a little bit. Um, they do see a recession forecast for the third quarter. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a good case to be made that there could be official recessionary, uh, I think, uh, I would say recognition as late as maybe even the fourth quarter. Um, I think if the job market holds up long enough, we could see it kind of just kind of pushed out a little bit longer and longer. And so it's funny because I, I, you know, how the algorithm works, whatever, or anything on social media, um, there's some, you know, I like to form my own economic outlook and then kind of, okay, see what the the consensus is on people that are against me and people that are saying, you know, somewhat of the same thing. And so it's funny because there are those individuals that say, you know, doom and gloom recession. And some folks have been saying, hey, recession, recession, recession for the last year and a half. Um, and so it's just almost like a matter of time. And of course, it's going to be a recession at some point in time in history. But the big thing is, is I do think that it could potentially be, you know, this really ongoing ease and trend that we don't see really start to manifest itself in a worst way by the middle part of 2023 or maybe even into the early parts of 2024. Yeah, I mean, looking through the the sector spend of the economic, of the data, it looks like it's a pretty broad decline overall. You've got gas leading the way. Of course, that's been going down. Um, furniture, home improvement, both 2% month over month declines. That was one of the big sectors that was growing during the pandemic. That has actually had kind of a mixed up and down. Uh, arguably, the last month that looked like this with all these sectors in red was December off of November. Right. It makes total sense if you actually think about how you purchase things. <laughs> November is the month where you go out and buy for the holidays. You get your shopping in, last minute stuff, very retail centric in December. And then you take time off, mm -hmm. you know, so... Uh, March, not typically a month that we see spending go down off of February. <laughs> yeah. Um, so department stores down 2%, restaurant spending down half a percent month over month, lodging down, um, airlines did grow and clothing up slightly off of February. So there's, and that's a seasonal thing, yeah. you know, spring gets into, into a thing. So I, you know, to me, the fact that everything kind of moved in the same direction, Anthony, is a sign that, okay, this is a downward trend like we're yeah. starting to even out the experience right yeah and, and then another big thing that I, I would see as a potential catalyst for this time of the year and maybe we we don't see it until next month's data is tax season so those getting tax refund checks and then sometimes you would see all right i got my tax refund check what am i going to drop this money on you know so if we're not seeing that now and we're not seeing any kind of bump up from that that also kind of brings a little bit of a concern as to what we can expect moving forward into the middle parts of the year as well. Yeah, I want to pull up the retail sales chart here and, and highlight some of these sectors. 
So spaghetti chart, I know, but you know, the call outs here are electronics, you know, and this is, this is lag. This is February's figures, not March because they, they come out and this bank of America arguably was talking about March numbers, not February numbers, but this is since April of 2019. So this is growth over April or decline. If you look at the electronics there, uh, 6% down. And of course the online or non-store retailers up 91%. And that continues to be kind of a bellwether. How much of that are not bellwether, but a, a kind of a, you know, overachiever yeah. <laughs> in comparison, how much of, you know, this chart do you think, I mean, we've still got some inflation making these numbers look higher and I do have CPI sitting in there. Uh, so you can see it. <laughs> yeah. How much of the inflationary factors do you think are applicable to a lot of these numbers? Like, are we, is this growth phantom growth? Yeah. Oh, I think a lot of it is going to be phantom growth here, um, as you put it. So, uh, and that kind of leads into looking at expectations for a future retail sales report. So we get one tomorrow morning. And if we do have the overall easing trends that we see in some of the CPI and PPI reports, that downward movement and in inflation is going to lead to downward movement in the retail sales reports because that's unadjusted for inflation. But the big thing that we're seeing from the CPI and PPI reports is that it's primarily coming from energy. A lot of the core stuff is still very sticky. We're still looking at, you know, shelter. We're looking at food for the most part. These are still things that are still very much elevated. You can see gas there in yellow. Yeah. And, and that's inflation. Yeah. That's yeah. not like they didn't go out and buy a bunch more gas. Right, right. That's total inflation right there. And so that's my my thought about a lot of these, except for the non-store retailers. And I guess my next question is, how much did that non-store retail money replace some of those sectors below it? Yeah, I think that was a big part, especially when, of course, we think about what happened throughout the pandemic. Um, tons of non-store retailers. I think it was Dr. Zach Rogers that said, hey, we were already anticipating a significant growth in e-commerce and the pandemic has kind of skyrocketed this and pulled so much of this growth that we were going to anticipate to have so much more forward. I think we definitely saw a lot of that kind of happen here and take away from some of the anticipated department store spending and things like that, brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. But also, I think we're starting to see, you know, I think the initial opening, reopening of the economy kind of spurred a little bit of activity, like, hey, I can go back in the stores, but I don't think we're going to have that to lean on as we continue to move throughout the remainder of this year. Yeah, it looks like we're seeing weakening in all sectors and don't take the nominal figures at yeah. face value because of inflation, but non-store retailers, e-commerce still seems to be one of the sectors you can lean on for continuing some level of economic activity and growth. Last thing I want to hit on uh, today is the PPI versus CPI and how they are related. Uh, so we talked about inflation. It, it's, you know, we break out retail sales in sectors, yeah. but we don't talk about inflation as it influences all the different sectors. And that's something that arguably, you know, electronic inflation is very different than gas inflation, et cetera. Um, but I want to talk about the input costs and how they're passed along here and how to look at this chart. So I've got the PPI in green, the producer price index, which is the measure of inflation for all the input costs, and the consumer price index in white, which is the measure of inflation for the stuff that you and I buy, yeah. the retail uh, side. So wholesale versus retail, if you want to put it into more simple terms. But my question to you, Anthony, is should we look at PPI as kind of a way to see margin expansion and contraction for some of these retailers? Because if you look at before the pandemic, PPI was about 23% lower than CPI. It's currently worked its way back to about 16%. Yeah. Will we, is that a way to view this? Is I'm, Am I looking at this right? 
Yeah. And I think what, I mean, one of the big things that was, uh, I think, a concern, and this is way, way back in the day, Zach, back when uh, you used to come in for carrier updates and we would sit on this wall for shipper updates. Yeah. Um, one of the big concerns is that th this is going to be an area that could squeeze into margins. Yeah. And so if we look at producers from that aspect, their margins get shrunk, squeezed a little bit. Now they can't hire as much. And so now you start to see a little diminishment in overall openings or the demand for labor because now they don't have that cash anymore. Right now, some of these companies are still kind of floating and, and being able to hire and say, hey, we still need more folks in warehouses, uh, factories, things like that, distribution centers. But I think if we start to see that, um, you know, these prices aren't passed along fully or long enough, that we would start to see some of those margins really squeeze. And of course, we have earnings coming up right around the corner for some financial institutions. And of course, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how all this kind of factors into that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, we've still got some runway for inflation to continue. So if I'm in the Fed, yeah. I, I, you know, and we're relying on inflation numbers, and it looks like we got a few more months before that PPI and CPI actually form their relationship back to a stable place again, right? Yeah. And, and one of the things that we were on a round table, I think it was sometime last year, Bill Priestley asked me if, how much does the looming recession scare me? And it's not so much, I said, the recession that scares me, but it's the cure for it that scares me. And so oh, yeah. would a pivot too soon be more inflationary building than what we would like to see? And will there be too much pressure to say, hey, now it's time to lower rates don't do it too quickly or you know start quantitative easing too soon now the increase in money supply gets us don't get me work don't get me started well thank you <laughs> so much for that thank you for watching hopefully we've answered some of your questions so you can go about your day have a great week